0: Elections have vast consequences, and so it's a real shame that we run them so poorly. So, I'd like to tell you a story. When I was in graduate school in 2008, this was during an election year. I was out to dinner with my friends and classmates, and we were talking about who we were going to vote for in that election, and. It struck me as odd that all my classmates were talking about voting for people who I knew were against their interests. I had an idea what their policies were, and they didn't align with the way that they were going to be voting. And so this really disturbed me a bit, and I walked away from that dinner really baffled. And so I kept kept asking all these why questions. Why was it that all of my friends were voting against their interests? Why were they not the only ones doing that? Why were so many other people doing that? Why were our elections electing such bad people? Why were better people not running? Why were certain candidates getting marginalized? So after these series of why questions, I kept coming back to the same place, which is the voting booth. And in the voting booth, we are We're given this ballot in front of us, and the ballot tells us to choose only one candidate. This is a voting method called first past the post or plurality voting. Uh, I'll keep calling it this choose one voting method because plurality voting is kind of hard to say and uh, first past the post sounds kind of archaic, (laughs) probably because it is. And so we have this voting method that forces us to choose just one candidate. And a voting method has all kinds of jobs. Jobs that this voting method fails at. One is it elects bad people. So this is the voting method's number one job. This particular voting method elects polarized people, uh, particularly in, in competitive elections. Also. It dissuades good candidates from running. Candidates look at the idea of viability to decide whether they should run. And viability often uses, we often use these proxy measures for figuring out what viability means, which are things like name recognition and independent wealth, or ability to raise a lot of money. And those things don't necessarily translate to being able to do a good job in office. And so people don't have these elements. They're often dissuaded from running. Also, this choose one voting method that we have pushes aside new ideas, including those coming from independents and third parties. Why does it do these things? One is it keeps us from being able to choose people whom we honestly like. So even if we like a candidate and they support our interests, we're coerced into voting for someone else who is a front-runner uh, because we don't want to throw our vote away. Also, this choose one voting method that we have is very inexpressive. You can't offer any less information than choosing only one candidate. Also, this choose one voting method causes vote splitting. So when there are a number of candidates who have similar ideas, or have overlapping ideas, the vote divides between them because we can't support all of them, which means that if there's another candidate who doesn't have similar candidates running alongside them, even if they have terrible ideas, they can win. One approach to to addressing this is to take this choose one voting method and use a runoff or a two round system, but this doesn't solve the problem. It can mitigate some issues like if there's a very small a candidate with small amount of support who maybe splits votes with one of the other front runners. But when you're dealing with a competitive election, such as here, imagine a candidate shown here in, in green being a very consensus style candidate, a moderate candidate that appeals to the broadest mass. Here, even with the two round system, the vote splits on either side of that candidate, causing that candidate to get a slimmer of the vote even though that candidate appeals to the broadest base of supporters. So even when you use a two-round system or a runoff, you can still take away uh, apparently great candidates. So what happens if we leave this untreated? Well, the people that we are electing using this hideous voting method have some real power. One is they control vast amount of money which are currently not always spent with our interests in mind. So how much money are we talking about? Worldwide, the amount of government spending is over 20 trillion US dollars. So what is that's an enormous amount of money. So what does that look like? So if you had $100 bills and just stacked them, you'd have to continue stacking them to the height of skyscrapers and then you have to keep building these skyscrapers of hundred dollar bills until they surround the Statue of Liberty. And this is what worldwide government spending looks like every year. And we're using the hideous voting method to decide who the people are who spend that money. And not only do the people that we elect using this terrible voting method uh, control vast amount of money, but they also control Policies that dictate our day-to-day lives. Policies like who we go to war with, mental health issues, animal welfare, environmental regulation, AI safety, or they don't address these policies. Criminal justice reform, immigration, and biosafety. And this is something that is global. Shown in red here are the countries that either don't have a developed democracy, use this choose one voting method, or use a choose one voting method with the second round. And this is actually a bit overly optimistic because shown in green here are countries that use a ranking system, which really just simulate a runoff process and have many of the same issues as a traditional runoff. There are a number of countries that use proportional methods for multi winner elections, and that's a good thing. It's much better to use a multi winner proportional method than to take these legislatures or parliaments and divide them up into single-member districts when you have issues like gerrymandering and a host of other issues to deal with. But it's important that we don't neglect executive offices. There are positions that are inherently single winner and we can't neglect them because the people in those positions are the ones who execute the laws, they're the ones who often have extra powers associated with the positions, and they typically are the most powerful lobbying force within the government. So how do we deal with this? What's a better way to elect people into these executive level positions? Approval voting is one very simple way of doing that. With approval voting, you select as many candidates as you want. You're not ranking or anything complicated, you're just choosing as many candidates as you want and the candidate with the most votes wins. In addition to being extremely simple, this voting method has a number of really nice properties. For one, you can always support your honest favorite, no matter what. And if you perceive your candidate as not being viable, no worries, you can also support against uh, one of the uh, the front-runners at the same time. It also encourages these other candidates who would fear not running so they're now encouraged to run because they don't have to worry about this viability issue. Also, if there are multiple similar candidates that you like, you don't have to worry about splitting your vote. Support all of them. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And research looking at approval voting, for instance here, this is the 2007 French uh, study, in this particular election, it changed the winner. So it went from electing uh, Sarkozy under a choose one plurality method, here they even used a runoff to, to get this result. But under approval voting, uh, Baru, a more centrist or moderate candidate man- would manage to win this election under approval voting with this selection of candidates. But also look to the third parties and in independents. Now, you can see that some independents, even with the, with the choose one voting method versus approval voting, they still don't look that great. Now, approval voting isn't going to magically make you a better candidate. You actually have to be a good candidate to do well under an approval voting election. But look at some of these other candidates in the independents and third parties. Some of them go from about 5% to 15 uh, to 20% which is a vast difference. You can't get marginalized in the same way when you have increased support like that. And this is a way that you would otherwise, that you would get your ideas heard, whereas otherwise, under our choose one voting method, be ignored. Here's another study looking at a German election. Here, the winner didn't change. And the winner doesn't always change under approval voting versus the choose one method. But choosing a good winner is not the only job of a voting method. It also is important for that voting method to gauge the temperature of support for all the other candidates because that controls how these other candidates are treated and how their ideas are treated. And even whether a particular candidate getting more support has their policies co-opted by one of the leading candidates. So again, here you see Uh, two of the candidates who fall within the independent or third-party candidate uh, uh, that are independent or third-party candidates move from about 5% to around 30% with approval voting. And again, these candidates would otherwise get marginalized uh, if it weren't for a voting method that is able to capture their actual support. Here's another election. It's one more recent. This is from polling data that we... Uh, the center for election science took in 2016. Here, the winner doesn't change from Clinton. Uh, under our choose one voting method and approval voting, the winner is the same, albeit that approval voting increases the margin of victory for, for Clinton in this election within this with these four candidates. Now, you may look at this and think, well, didn't Trump win that election? Uh, it's important to note that the United States manages to take one of the worst voting methods in existence is choose one voting method. And somehow makes that even worse by nesting it within the electoral college. So that's the explanation for why Trump isn't the winner under even uh, plurality voting. And look also to the third parties. Uh, Here, uh, Johnson under the Libertarian Party goes from 3% to 21%. Stein goes from 1% to 12%. These candidates in this race were completely marginalized, and so this meant that they were excluded from all the presidential debates because they were told that they weren't viable. This was so true that the uh, Gallup poll did a poll earlier in that year, and they saw that two-thirds of the American public didn't even know who these two candidates were, and, and yet they're still able to get this faction support. Imagine if there was approval voting in the election and was matched with approval polling, how much support these candidates would get and being able to actually participate on the debate stage, being able to air issues that would otherwise be completely ignored. Now this isn't just a pipe dream, this is something that we can do, and we are doing it now. In Fargo, in 2015, they had a real dumpster fire of an election. So they were electing their commission seat that was open. It was a six way way race, and the winner got uh, the spot with under 22% of the vote. And the commission looked at this and they thought, oh, this is just a real mess. We need to do something about this. And so they commissioned an elections task force to figure out a solution. And that task force reached out to us at the Center for Election Science and looked at all their options and we had recommended approval voting to them. And after deliberating, they thought, this is probably a good solution for our problem. And so they recommended approval voting. And then they went to the commission and over the course of over a year in public meetings and recommendations, they said, we need to be using approval voting. This is what we're recommending. And for over a year, the commission said, well, maybe we actually don't want to change the voting method after all. And that includes the commissioner who won with 22% of the vote, who also felt that way. Now this has not settled with one particular person on the task force who was a bit upset that they were being ignored after the commission uh, put together the task force. And so this particular member decided to form his own local organization, get a bunch of volunteers, and gather signatures and put approval voting on the ballot for this November 6th. And this will be on the ballot for this November 6th and right now with the poll that we had commissioned is actually, uh, among people who have an opinion, is favored two to one. Uh, so we are actually optimistic of this passing. There is a remainder of about a third of the electorate who hasn't made up their opinion yet, but. We're still doing outreach efforts for education and the organization Reform Fargo that Jen started is also doing advocacy efforts. So how do you do this? So I put together a checklist for you. Uh, One is you have to identify a local organization and have concentrated support there. It's helpful for the local organization to have a background in ballot initiatives and also to have someone there uh, who's able to dedicate full-time efforts onto running the ballot initiative. Also, we're talking about single-winner elections here, so the seat that you're trying to fill should be a single-winner seat because that's what approval voting is for. Now, the caveat there is that approval voting can also be turned into a multi-winner proportional voting method, which would work for uh, councils or other types of multi-winner elections. Uh, but again, you can't neglect executive positions. It's important that you elect those well, and approval voting is a final candidate for electing them. The locality that you're looking at also has to be able to have the power to control their own voting method. For instance, in the US, the, that's not the case for every city within a state. So uh, some cities were able to control their own voting, voting methods. Other uh, cities, they have to get permission from the state level. Or the state has to explicitly say that they can choose their own voting method. Or sometimes the state just tells them, all the cities, what their voting method is going to be. So the locality has to have control over that. Now, finally, you have to use a balance sheet. Of uh, the people in office have a direct conflict of interest and they do not want to change the voting method that got them in office. So you have to use a ballot initiative. So right now, we use much the worst voting method there is to elect people to office that control vast amount of wealth and control the policies that affect the lives of humans and animals alike, across the globe. But this is a solvable problem. This is solvable one election at a time. And not only is this solvable, this is replicable. And not only is this replicable, this is scalable. And not only is this scalable in the US, This is something that is scalable globally. But this is also neglected. If we don't provide resources and action on this effort, we'll continue to use the same terrible voting method to decide spending and policies that affect our lives and the lives of people yet to exist. This is not a magical bullet but scaling approval voting is one of the most high impact interventions that we have the power to make on our government. Thank you. Thank you for
1: your presentation, especially the example. You know, delightful to see that somebody's taking this seriously. Um, I, I guess it would be interesting to get a little bit of history. How did we end up with such terrible voting methods in the first place?
0: Uh, I think probably it was one of the first things that people came up with. And through just the status quo biases, kept doing it. You see in other euro democracies, sometimes they, like Australia, they started with a, a different voting method. Um, and then just kept on using it without really thinking about it. Right.
1: Um, and you found even in the case of Fargo that there were some vested interests in maintaining the existing voting method. Um, how much of a problem do you expect this to be in many other places where you might try to scale this out?
0: Uh, so right now in Fargo there's no real cohesive opposition, which is very helpful for us and we're happy with that there. It makes it easier to pass the initiative. But in other places where we're seen, for instance, other alternative voting methods being pushed, there can be um, more coherent opposition. Um, but a lot of times, when they're looking at this, they make pretty bad arguments, uh, such as saying, like, well, there's the one person, one vote idea, and not really even understanding what that means. Um, and other fallacious type arguments.
1: Um, For someone who's interested in, you know, helping cities like Fargo, um, do you suggest that they focus on areas that seem like they'd be particularly receptive, even if they're pretty small, or instead focus on really important elections, really large areas that aren't as tractable? Uh, Right
0: now we're, with Fargo, Part of the purpose of that is demonstrating the proof of concept. The, so, this voting method has been around for a while and really has been studied more formally academically since the late 1970s with uh, Stephen Brown's uh, game theorist and typical scientist, out of New York University, and Peter Fishburne, uh, a mathematician. So, we're working on showing this proof of, of, of concept, but um, like after we're able to demonstrate this and replicate it, uh, I think uh, more ambitious efforts can to be made, and we're planning those ambitious efforts. Yeah.
1: Um, so you focused one example in the U.S. and you know you looked at a couple of hypotheticals in the U.S. Um, have you looked at all into developing countries? Maybe where they, you know, would be more receptive to reform or just kind of getting their democratic systems down in the first place. Yeah. I'd,
0: so a lot of the helping organizations that work with developing countries on their elections unfortunately don't have approval voting on their radar. And in many cases, they advance a two-round system, which can cause that center squeeze effect that I described before. Um, so one of the ways in order to get new democracies to use better voting methods is going to be to influence those organizations like that have those advice, that provide that
1: advice. And, um, and as a final question, um, if someone in the audience was excited about moving this forward, um, is there anything that they should keep in mind, maybe any risks that they might be facing by trying to push on this as someone who's not experienced in the field? Uh,
0: so it's, it took a, a long time to learn a lot about methods because they're very complicated, there are all kinds of arguments for and against different uh, voting methods. So it it takes a while to come up to to speed on all that. Um, But in terms of activity, uh, like for one, to to do this is very expensive uh, to run ballot initiatives and to coordinate an organization and to scale up. So funding is definitely one issue that that we face, particularly to take on some of the ballot initiatives that we're looking at. Um, And in terms of within the locality, uh, starting an organization or particularly joining an organization and convincing them that approval voting is a better way to go than perhaps other types of reforms, I think is a, a good start. Great. Well, with that,
1: thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.